My name is Sharzad Kiade. I'm a Gemini pescatarian, a mom of two wild little boys. I'm Susan Yara. I'm a mom of two also. This morning, I went to the bathroom alone. I woke up at five, put my boob in her mouth, and then she took a dump. Because that's what she uses me for. <laughs> that's what you're going to hear a lot of our stories and experiences in our crazy journeys to motherhood. It's fam for all moms, not for all dads, not fathers and moms, for all moms. It's going to be a good old time. You guys are going to want to stick around. Promise. So subscribe. Well, France are through to the World Cup final. They beat Belgium 1-0. I'm sure all of you have seen the game. Let's chat about France first, Alex, then, as the successors, the progressors, the winners. Hmm? Uh, Far less in terms of possession, but far more in terms of shots. So how did this game pan out for you, do you think? Because uh, throughout the first half, they had a a real spell of pressure. um, And I think, Philippe, as well, you were thinking that edge of the seat stuff at that point Belgium looked like the strongest side didn't they I had a very knowing look from, from Alex that mm. lasted about five seconds mm. until I said I know well saying that we know what uh, Alex's knowing looks really mean this World Cup which is nothing isn't it Alex <laughs> no I mean it was, it was uh, those 25 minutes were looking quite worrying for France initially not that they were, t- they were playing particularly badly it's just that if there was such a sustained period of pressure it, for a while it looked like it was only going to go one way yeah. and probably and, um, France managed to settle a bit and then actually started to assert a bit more kind of attacking prowess in, in, into the game and playing some amazing football as well. Yeah, a lot of it was nice. It had, it, this game had the, the feel of a big game, didn't it? In that uh, there was one goal, it was a centre-back, it was a set-piece, it was a header and a goalkeeper is a probable man of the match. I think, yeah. I mean, I think there are probably three contenders for man of the match for France for me. Um Lloris did have an excellent game, very, very confident. Uh, he made some good saves, but he also came out and commanded his box really well. I thought Raphael Varane defended superbly. Um, there have been concerns previously about Varane with the physicality of his defending. He's very elegant, mm-hmm. he's very quick over the ground, but he can sometimes get bullied off the ball by big strikers. Yeah. And obviously he was up against Lukaku, but he played brilliantly. I also thought Pogba had an absolutely superb game. Um, Defensively, really disciplined. A lot of the marking out of the game of Fellaini... uh, Fellaini was all over the pitch, by the way, and also had a brilliant game. But Mm. quite often when Fellaini was was providing that kind of um, pivot option a ball played into him and then played back out. It was Pogba that was there holding him up, yeah. making it difficult for him, coming in front to steal the ball. So I think all three of them... I mean, yeah, like you say, it, it was an occasion game. Yeah. You know, there was absolutely <laughs> sumptuous football from both sides. Mm. Um, Belgium's really neat, tight interplay. France defending very well, very compactly, with Matuidi dropping back into midfield. Um, forming those sort of two lines of three that were slightly staggered across the pitch, but then looking to counter-attack using Mbappe's pace, but at the same time also providing a couple of moments of of intricacy around Mm. the edge of the box. That Mbappe backwards flick. Oh, I mean, yeah. So it was was just a stellar game. It was really enjoyable. Let's talk about Fellaini then, because you mentioned him there. He he did have a good game. What I'm slightly confused about is that they took him off um, before the 80th minute. 
ordinarily he's the sort of player who might actually be coming on to the game. I mean, he started in the number 10 role as well, which is a place that we like him. Um, he can cause a lot of problems for, for a defence, and he did for, for a time with France. But, w w I mean, I can only assume that he must have been really tired or something. Why would they take him off? I mean, because there were a couple of free kicks and corners um, towards the end that were crying out for Fellaini to be there, and he wasn't. Yeah, I can only assume either tiredness or they decided that, that actually... Because Carrasco um, came on for him. Uh, yeah, the, uh, greater directness uh, down the flanks and, mm. and crossing was maybe the option. And if you look at who to take off in that, Chadley was actually having a really good defensive game. Um, Witzel's kind of the the glue in the centre of midfield. So in terms of role, Fellaini, I suppose, was the most obvious to take off, yeah. partly because he'd worked so hard. And also, um, who else are you going to take off? Yeah, But also, who else are you going to take off? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he showed... Uh, Ferdinand called him a false 10 yeah. in the build-up, which I think is a really kind of nice, if slightly amusing phrase to describe that that function of getting up and playing in the 10 position mm. in that space behind the striker and ahead of the rest of the midfield, but not doing what one would ordinarily expect of a number 10, yeah. which is, of course, more kind of De Bruyne's thing. Yeah. Uh, De Bruyne also had a really good game, as did Hazard. So this you know, this was a match that was full of outstanding performances. Is, is this one of those games then, as we've said, it, it had the feel of a big game. It's obviously a World Cup semi-final, two really good teams. No one does anything really wrong. Uh, there's almost not that much to say, is there, beyond France scored a goal and Belgium didn't, but it could have gone either way. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Um, I, I think France had the edge defensively. Yeah. Uh, Belgium had the edge in attack. Um, Belgium again went with this kind of slightly lopsided four at the back, um, similar to what they did against Brazil, but with a slightly different disposition of people. Yeah. Um, and it again, I think it worked quite well for Martinez. Um, he's He's been the Martinez of kind of you know the the Wigan era and some of his other good managerial stuff, rather than the last kind of six months of his Everton tenure. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe a lot of the derision that was heaped on him when he was appointed the Belgian manager has has gone some way to dissipating. Do you think he deserves another go somewhere else? Yeah. I mean, presumably, they won't be Belgium won't be keen to lose him. But well, no one would think. But I, I mean, I. I kind of assume with managers that there would be a preference for club management mm. because it's more regular, it's more day-to-day. -day. Probably pays more. Probably pays more. <laughs> no, I don't know, um, actually. Maybe not. Well, I mean, maybe for one or two of the big nations. I, I think England managers are always ridiculously well compensated. Well, uh, also, let's say you are the England manager, your job is essentially to go to football games for most of the year and yeah. just sort of chill out. Hang yeah. out with Dan Ashcroft. It's all fine, isn't it? Everything's fine. Dan Ashcroft, the yeah. guy from Nathan Barley. Oh, who's the who? <laughs> I always get him confused with the guy. Sugar Ray. Yeah, who's the guy uh, who did not design the England DNA thing with uh, Gareth Southgate? Maybe he was called Dan. Ashcroft yeah, I'm pretty as well. sure he is called Dan Ashcroft, but I I do also. Okay, the rise of the idiots. Sure, sure. Uh, there's a nice little. I don't know how niche that reference is. Oh, I don't know. Maybe. I saw David Priest made a um, Nathan Barley reference on Twitter the that other day. That doesn't say so, anything, though, does it? Well, I don't, I mean, no, it doesn't. I'm just saying. Because he's a hipster, isn't he? Is he? Well, he's got a big beard, I suppose. I'd say he definitely is. Nice guy, though. 
Yeah. <laughs> but it's definitely, it's a definite, he's a definite would have watched Nathan Bolly. That doesn't tell us anything about the, the core of our listenership, does it? I bumped into him in Shoreditch once as well. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, well, let's... Let's just say well done to Belgium then. It was exciting. They gave us uh, lots to discuss over the, particularly the last two games, maybe not so much this one, but the, certainly the last game against Brazil. Uh, we were flummoxed for a time in this room at what they were doing tactically, but it worked out for them then. Didn't quite cut it today. Uh, but they've been an exciting team to watch, haven't they? Yeah, I, I still think they've scored one of the best goals of the tournament as well, the the breakaway against Japan. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right at the death of that game, to have put together that move in that game situation. Mm. Um, Do you think that is perhaps part of the reason why France were happier to see possession to them in this game? Because you didn't see as much of that, did you? I mean, they yeah. obviously got a lot of speed on the breakaway and a lot of clinical passes, I, I think but there was not a lot of space to pass into. No, I think that's right. I think France made, and this is a very kind of Deschamps decision, um, yeah. we concede territory, we concede possession. In, in Mbappe, they've got one of the quickest players at the World Cup. And yeah. in Griezmann, they've got a, a sort of shadow striker who is used to playing in front of a very compact defensive structure that yeah. breaks. Yeah. So I think it suited France to say, OK, if you want to come and try and play through us, then you can do that. Mm-hmm. And then look to exploit that pace on the break. Um, Matuidi, as well, had the great game just shuttling up and down. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it there was no there was nobody on the pitch today that you would look at and go, you know, they they didn't really. Maybe Lukaku had a bit of an off day in terms of one or two chances that that did fall to him that he wasn't quite expecting. Although that was due to deflections or ball coming from behind a defender and stuff like that. But it's like an England performance, isn't it? Uh, it's like watching an England performance. What? Because everyone's good. Yeah. Yeah. Before we talk about England, let's talk about France. Okay. Uh, Phil, I'm going to come to you now because, as a Frenchman, naturally you support France, and you let out a large whooping noise and some aggressive uh, fist shaking at the end of the game. I surprised myself there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, first, I mean, clearly you must be very happy. Were you expecting France to make it this far before the tournament? Not before the tournament. Um, Initially, uh, initially I. I thought they might go out the, at the quarterfinals. Yeah. Um, again, because of you know, I thought that maybe Deschamps wouldn't necessarily use the players correctly. Whatever he's done, it seems to be working. So that would have been so. Yeah, this is this is enormous. But I, I mean, what I did also think is that if they, I thought if they got past Uruguay, they got. I would. I put them as basically favourites to get to the final. Okay. I had a feeling before the game started that they beat Belgium. Not twenty-five minutes in. No. But. Um, is this yeah. a happy medium then between the sort of uh, the conservative Deschamps that we that we know and some love, and a young team full of attacking talent? I guess so yeah, I mean, I suppose the the one way of looking at it is uh, um, that Deschamps probably has learned a few lessons along the way, and has has finally incorporated certain players like Mbappe into the, like into the squad, who and everything has kind of clicked. So it's, yeah. it's the one way that one way of uh, Route to the final that I thought might be the case that it could be a stodgy group yeah. stage, and then kind of kick into gear. That's kind of happened. Yeah, I think so, and I think that, that every game's in a very different test in very different, very different ways. So Argentina playing an absolute head case with a few, well, in particular one really good player and a lot of other players who are really fired up to win. Yeah, Uruguay, you know, very stern and uh, very. 
quite quite a tough test in, in their own right. And so I think they've kind of picked up little bits and pieces along the way, and, which is, yeah. and now we're looking at this. You know? Because you, you aren't an outspoken fan of Didier Deschamps, or at least no, you weren't no. before the tournament. What, what if, if, I mean, France win the final now, let's say France win, hmm. how does that affect, just out of curiosity, how does that affect your opinion of the manager? As the manager, um, I still think that there's... Because I think he's, he's also signed a massive new contract now, I think, as well. And he's been right. with the French team. He's the longest-serving French manager in history. Right. Um, and, you know, if you actually look at the, the track record, there is a lot of success there as well. Um, I still think that in years to come, there will need to be a refreshment of, uh, this, of the way that the, the squad is structured. I think that would be... It would need someone that's a, a bit less of a pragmatist. And I've, I've said often that I think Zidane could be the man for that and yeah. I maintain that but I don't think it's going to happen if France if France win the World Cup it'll be there in four years time yeah I mean Deschamps had one big tactical decision that he made which was after a very stodgy opening game against Australia he stopped starting Dembele on the right and Mbappe through the middle and played Giro up front Mm-hmm. That's really the one major tactical change. Mm-hmm. He he experimented a little bit with Matuidi versus Caliso. Taliso. Well, Matuidi on the left is a is a more recent uh, development as well. He wasn't playing there during the group stages, was he? Um, he's he. I think he has in part, yeah. Uh, but I think uh, that sort of shoring up of that left hand side when when you don't have a, a natural left winger, yeah. And you want to have that four-three-three shape defensively. That's something that has been done before, okay. and, and Matuidi's versatile enough to do that. But he's not really, in terms of the Giro swap, that that was quite a kind of big shift in terms of how the team yeah. was looking to play. Um, and he got that call completely right. And he stuck with it, uh, and he stuck with it. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, he's. He's been very solid. There have been a couple of personnel changes at fullback for the game that didn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think sometimes when you're a manager at a tournament and and you have this, you know, very exciting team, lots of potential, and all the rest of it, and you're not thrashing sides, mm. there can be a temptation to make too many changes. And perhaps this is one of the things where. Deschamps' natural pragmatism has been beneficial to the team because yeah. he's actually kind of let them get on with it, yeah. stuck with a regular selection, and they've grown in confidence as that's progressed. Okay, well let's have a quick thought then, perhaps not with regard to specific opponents, because I realised moments ago as you were talking, I was thinking, oh let's chat about the final, imagining that England were already through, and <laughs> that's obviously not, that's not the case. We'll have to wait until tomorrow before we uh, can talk about that properly, fingers crossed. But let's think about France now going into the final. Any uh, weaknesses non-specific to the team that they're going to be facing? One that you mentioned during the game is that as good as Mbappe is going forwards, he's perhaps not the best at tracking back and not uh, the most efficient defensively. In fact, there was a moment towards the end of this game as well, which I think is a something which is probably fair to criticise as a lack of experience, was that he tried to take the ball past Hazard in, his own, in France's final third. Um, rather than just kicking it away, managed to lose it, and another chance was was created. So that is a, a potential uh, weakness there. Pavar gets forward as well, but when he goes back, not enough support, maybe? Yeah, possibly that. I, I, I think the two areas that I would look to exploit would be the fact that France, uh, certainly the, the Mbappe-Pavar thing you've just mentioned, 
I think also sometimes France struggled to hold the ball up in the 10 area. Mm. Um, Griezmann didn't have a fantastic game. Uh, I personally would have brought Fakir on a little bit earlier Mm -hmm. um, just to kind of hold the ball, carry it a little bit, relieve some of that pressure. Mm -hmm. I think if you can get at Griezmann as a link and you can target France's right-hand side, then you can break up the functionality of their attacking play a little bit and possibly get in behind them. Well, also, it's worth mentioning now that I think England are the final team left in the tournament still playing three at the back. And I'm not entirely sure that France have faced a team playing three at the back yet. Would be an interesting thing to know the answer to, wouldn't it, if I mean, we I did? Know, I know Japan sort of look three at the back-ish at times. What were Argentina doing when they played France? Anything and everything. Yeah, basically. They played about six different formations, didn't they? Yeah, but I think that was one of the games where they started with a nominal back four. Yeah. Um, so that could be that could be a test because we've seen Uruguay is definitely um, a four at the back. Yeah, and we've seen not just at, uh, at tournaments like this, but also in domestic competitions as well, that when teams with a natural four th- four two three one come up against a back three, there can be difficulties there. I'm thinking I, the reason that came to my mind is because I was imagining. Let's say, just hypothetically, and we'll keep this brief because we can talk about this again probably tomorrow, but let's say hypothetically England do get through. Um, and I was thinking, oh, Blaise Matuidi on, on the left there against Trippier. And then I thought, no, actually, Blaise Matuidi against Kyle Walker and Trippier. You know, there's natural overloads that the, that the back three allows when you play against this formation. Is that something that might concern France if in, were England to get through? Yeah, definitely. I think... Um... I think you'll you'll see uh, Lucas Hernandez getting forward a lot less yeah. um, because of the runs of Trippier. It's a shame that Ashley Young is not as attacking a wing-back as Trippier is because I think yeah. that would maybe force Mbappe to drop off a little bit. And I, to, let's, I think, to be fair there, is why I think that's largely to do with with um, having to conserve energy. I think, he, you know, when, he, when Young chooses to get up the pitch or thinks this is the right time to go... Mm. He's fantastic. Oh, no, that's not to criticise his attacking capability. That's just in terms of of where the kind of balance of Doesn't do it as frequently. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's obviously within that midfield area, um, because of the way Matuidi drops back, there is the opportunity for England or England's formation, if England are who they play, to be outnumbered. Um, But that's why you have one at least of those centre backs pushing up. Yeah. Um so it'll be very interesting. For example, I would probably push Pogba forwards onto Henderson yeah. and try and stop that as a link. Um I think Kante will probably kind of oscillate between Lingard and Deli Alley and trying to cut things off at source there. Yeah. There'll be some really interesting matchups yeah. if that's what it is. If that's what it is. If it isn't, it's also interesting Again, Croatia have once more this conundrum yeah. of do they play playmakers alone and then Kramaric in the middle, yeah. or do they give Modric and Rakitic some support in the form of Brozovic? They'd have to, wouldn't they? And I think against France, they would have to, or they'd get absolutely slaughtered. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, well, in that case, we will talk about those eventualities tomorrow after the England-Croatia game. Philippe, would you mind running me through... Uh, well, I know that you won the point for this game. Yes. What's our current tally at now? Because we've only got three left. On 11. Yep. We're on seven. Okay. 
So there's the, yeah. There's it's doable. It's still doable. I like still how we don't even get my point score now. Alex is full. Oh, yes. Still on four. Well done, four they were as well. I think you've only won one point in the last ten days. Mm. Okay, uh, no, so... You've you, you won like one, one... No, that's right. No. <laughs> a week, and that's a week ago. A week ago. Yeah, sure. one week, that's it. Sure, okay. Well, listen now, uh, tomorrow's game, of course, is England-Croatia. Mm. We all need to make our predictions for that now. Phil will be going 2-1 England, no doubt. No. Oh, no, in that case, I'll start with you. 2 0 England. 2 0 England. He's going for his France special. Mm. Alex? I'm going to go 7 1 England. <laughs> so this is, this is literally like when you start fouling people at the end of a FIFA game. Because it's coming home. I'll, I'll literally put that in your column there, Joey, sorry. We'll change it. Well, yeah. Okay, I'm Harry going. Harry Maguire hat trick. <laughs> set pieces. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, I don't really know what to do now because that's not left me with that many options. So I'm going to say, and I'm sorry to do this, Phil, I'm going to say 2 1. No, that's fine. Yeah. I think Someone I think Croatia will steal one. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, we will be back tomorrow uh, to discuss that game. There'll be uh, no podcast on Thursday, Friday, but we'll do one on Saturday for the third round player. And perhaps we'll have a little look back at the rest of the tournament at, at that point as well, because that game isn't that exciting, is it? Uh, well, it might be, depending on who's in it, but you never know. Um, and yeah, then there'll be one on Sunday. And then that's it. We're go quitting. Home, We're all quitting. Sleep for a week. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. Thanks very much for uh, downloading the podcast and uh, see you tomorrow. Oh, and we're we're upstairs at the old red lion. I forgot to make, I've forgotten to mention that on a few podcasts recently. We're at the old red lion. That's in Islington. Angel, thanks very much, Deborah, on there. Bye, 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 bye.